Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and this opportunity that we have to connect with the New Life family online. I pray, God, that you would pour out your blessing on each home, on each individual who's tuning in today for service, getting the opportunity to be blessed by your spirit and blessed by your word. I pray now, God, that you would speak through me and you would continue to work through the power of your spirit no matter where we are because we know that you're in all places and your church is people. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hello and welcome to New Life. My name is Mark and I was the discipleship pastor here at New Life. I say that I was because I I technically still am and I am the discipleship pastor here at New Life for the next couple of months. But a few weeks ago, my wife and I started a new church. I want to say thank you for coming and joining us today, especially if this is your first time with us. I know it's a little bit easier to visit a church in the COVID-19 period because you can visit with us online. You don't have to be a captive audience and you can just stop by and check it out. But I just want to say thank you because you've given us a part of your day. You've given us a part of your Sunday. And for that, We really appreciate it. We recognize that it's a sacrifice and there's a lot of things that you could be doing right now that you're not doing right now because you're spending time with us. You are our honored guest and it's a privilege to be able to have you here with us today. And yes, my wife and I started a new church just actually a month ago. We just had our fourth service. Um, Lux Digital Church started as a church to reach people inside the gaming community and New Life has partnered with us. We're a proud member of the New Life Network in which New Life has partnered with us in in prayer, in presence, and in finances. In fact, if you gave over the Easter weekend, your resources went to support churches just like ours who are seeking to reach people that nobody else is reaching. I want to thank you for your prayerful and sacrificial support. Because of you, the mission and the vision of Lux Digital Church is becoming a reality because of you, people who may have never been reached are being reached. You believed in something that was actually just kind of crazy. And because of your belief and willingness to get behind it and because of the leadership of New Life's willingness to believe in something that sounds a little bit crazy and to believe that it actually is the Holy Spirit leading it, we're able to be doing what we're doing today. And I'm gonna talk about that in a little bit. But before we get to any of that, I wanna talk about what we're talking about at New Life today. At New Life, we are currently closing out a series called Redux. Redux means to return, resurrection, rebirth. It's this concept of turning away or getting out of something and returning to something that you knew. At New Life, one of the things that we as pastors do as a leadership team and a preaching team is we get together and we plan out our series. And so when it came to planning our Easter series, we decided to do a shorter series starting on Easter so that you would have a reason to come back. Sometimes it's daunting to come to church for the first time on Easter and feel like you got to come back for the next 25 weeks to grab the series. So we decided to do a brief three-week series that focused on coming back because we know that some of you are coming back. I know that some of you haven't been to church in a year and some of you still aren't ready or prepared or feel comfortable coming back to church. I saw many of you over the Easter services that I hadn't seen, some of you in months, some of you I hadn't seen in over a year. And I have to admit, even as someone who planted and started a digital church, it was good to see many of your faces for the first time in a long time. We know that many of you are coming back to church and many more of you are coming back reduxing from a lot of other things in life. 2020 threw a lot at us and so did COVID-19. I know many of you are coming back from a season of loss because you lost 
a loved one during this year. Some of you are coming back from a season of isolation that caused depression and desperation. Some of you are coming back from a season of losing relationships and friends because of heated discussions you had over politics or racial inequality or over the pandemic. Some of these conversations you wish that you could take back now that you're not sort of in the pressure of the moment. We know that many of us are reduxing, coming back from a lot of different things in life. And so we wanted to start off with a series that would focus on returning to God. Returning to God specifically from desperation and from doubt and from many of the other things that we deal with. In fact, if you're coming back from a hard season in life right now, let's say you're coming back from a season of a lot of desperation and isolation, I encourage you to go back and watch Pastor, Mary's superb, Pastor Barry's superb message from last week where he talked about coming back from isolation and desperation. If you missed it, make sure you go back and see it. This week, we're going to be talking about coming back from doubt. Specifically, we are going to be talking about two types of doubt. The type of doubt that is the twin sibling of desperation and the type of doubt that is the nemesis of trust. So we're saying that doubt is the twin sibling of desperation and doubt is the nemesis of trust. But before we get into any of that, I want to start with today's take-home point. That's the one point that I'm going to seek to make that we can live it out in the week ahead, something that we can take with us here at New Life. For as long as I've been here, for the last 11 years, we've preached one-point messages. And so this is our one point. Doubt is natural. Doubt is natural. And it may not seem right, and it may not seem like a church should preach that doubt is natural, but we preach that doubt is natural because, well, quite frankly, doubt is natural. It just happens to be true. If you don't believe me, look at the Bible. You'll see that even the people that were closest to Jesus had doubts. Even his disciples had their doubts. And we encounter doubt every day. And as we look at doubt today, we are going to be looking at the doubt that is the twin sibling of desperation and doubt that is the nemesis of trust. Because doubt threatens life. The life that Jesus promised us it threatens life to the full. It threatens Zoe life. And here at New Life, we believe that on the other side of doubt is the life that Jesus has always promised us. I can look back at different seasons of my life and I can see how desperation impacted me. So when I say that desperation and doubt are twins, what I really mean is one almost always comes with the other, at least in this form of doubt. When we experience desperation, it almost always leads us to doubt. And when we experience doubt, it almost always leads us to desperation. For example, it can be something simple and really inconsequential, but it's still true. If we doubt that our car can take us from point A to point B, it can make us desperate for a new car. If we doubt that we have enough money to pay the bills this month, it can make us desperate for cash. If we doubt the existence of God, it can make us desperate for meaning and purpose. It can happen the exact opposite way as well. For example, if we're desperate because we lost someone that we loved and we feel like we'll never be whole again, it can make us doubt that we'll ever heal. If we are desperate because we're drowning in debt, it can make us doubt that we'll ever be able to get out of debt. If we are constantly in a state of depression and isolation, it can make us consider really desperate options and make us doubt the existence of God. Doubt and desperation tend to go hand in hand. 
And that's really what has happened in my own life. Desperation led to doubt, and doubt left, led to desperation at really the core of who I was. Whenever I was in college, uh, I, uh, I went to Geneva. I went to a Christian school, and I was studying ministry, and I went through this season of intense spiritual doubt. I sort of called it the dark night of my soul. You see, whenever I was in high school, I was like the super Christian kid. I, I was like the Christian guy, right? And, and that was kind of my persona. It became my identity. It's how I knew who I was. I was the kid with all of the Christian t-shirts from Family Christian Bookstore. And, and many of you, you just flashed back to the sweet moments of bliss perusing the items in Family Christian Bookstore. And you're mourning, you're lost, but I want to keep something in your brain, and that is that Family Christian Bookstore filled stuff that only, was filled with stuff that only Christians cared about, and it wasn't even run by Christians. They sold me a lot of bad shirts, and I want my money back, dang it. But that's beside the point. The point is, is that when I went to Geneva, I lost my sense of identity. I was no longer the really Christian kid in a non-Christian environment. I was the really Christian kid amongst all of the other really Christian kids. In fact, if I was the super Christian, I was around super, super Christians. They were all homeschooled, like by the bucketful, the super, super Christians. I had a pastor who once said, you can't swing a dead cat at Geneva College without hitting a homeschool kid. Now that's awful, and you should never hit homeschool kids with dead animals. However, it was accurate. They were all over the place. I didn't even know there was that many of them. And, and to be fair, all of my friends, by the way, ended up being homeschool kids. Uh, so I have nothing against homeschooling, like I'm considering homeschooling my own children. I'm, I'm just saying that there was a lot of them, and some of them were ridiculously socially awkward, and they sort of threatened my sense of identity. I was the super Christian, and all of these kids were super, super Christians. And if I wasn't the super Christian, then who was I? I lost all sense of identity. You couple that with the fact that I was suddenly up against all of these new theological positions and beliefs that I didn't know existed, and they were all inside the church. See, for me, I grew up in the same church, and so I thought that everybody who called themselves a Christian believed basically the same thing about the Bible. I suddenly realized that that wasn't the case at all. In fact, I was around tons of people with varying beliefs down nuances through denominational lines, things that I didn't understand or even knew that Christians believed. And I didn't know what to believe. I, I had felt like throughout my life, I had built a life of bricks. I had white bricks and I had black bricks. They were things that were right and things that were wrong. And I took those bricks and I built a house. It had firm walls, and inside my black and white brick house, I felt safe. There was no reason for ambiguity. Everything was either right or it was wrong. And inside my brick house, I was safe. But when I went to college, even at a Christian school, and I began to encounter other worldviews and other beliefs, even inside variations of the Christian faith, it began to threaten my black and white bricks. Every day, it seemed like the colors of black and white blurred and bled into one another. Soon, it didn't feel like I had a black and white brick house very much at all. It felt more like I was in a gray puddle. And on the worst days, it felt like I was drowning in a gray sea with no shore in sight. I went from having a secure black and white life to nothing like that. I remember sitting at home at one point thinking, I was laying in my bed in my apartment at White Township, thinking, I don't believe this anymore. God, you're not real. 
But I was simply too embarrassed to admit that I didn't believe there was a God anymore. It was the darkest night of my life, the darkest season. That year or so walking away from God where I felt like I was drowning in ambiguity, I felt like everything I knew that was secure I was doubting, was really, really hard. Doubt led to desperation, and desperation, it led to doubt. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. One night, the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. When I said earlier that even Jesus' disciples doubted, I wasn't joking. See, in the life of his disciples, Jesus had been arrested and murdered. He had died on the cross. And for them, the loss of Jesus and the desperation of that loss led to a lot of doubt. Well, how do I know that? Well, Jesus actually told his disciples that he was going to die and he was going to return to life three days later. But even within those three days between his death and resurrection, most of his disciples had gone back to life as they were living before. They didn't expect him to return. They thought it was over. Thomas, along with everybody else, had put all of their eggs in the Jesus basket. They believed him to be the Messiah, the Savior, the Chosen One, the person to free them from the Romans. They didn't know Jesus' full plan, but they certainly didn't believe that he would die in crucifixion. But he did. And in that place of desperation, it caused doubt. To the point that Thomas, who knew Jesus, he had walked with Jesus. He had been with Jesus physically. For three years, he had followed him around. It was to the point that not only did he know Jesus and he had walked with Jesus, but he doubted the things that Jesus told him would happen. For Thomas, he couldn't get the image of the crucifixion out of his existence long enough, out of his perspective long enough to believe in a Jesus that had been resurrected. Even if his friends had experienced that Jesus, even if the other 10 disciples had known this Jesus, they had seen him risen from the dead. For Thomas, he couldn't believe until he felt him. He couldn't believe until he had placed his hands in his fingers and inside of his side. Even Thomas doubted. Later on, we actually see a passage of scripture where Jesus ascends into heaven. And as they watched him go, it says, but some of them doubted. Even Jesus' closest followers doubted. Doubt is natural and it leads to desperation. The other type of doubt is the nemesis of trust. The nemesis of trust. And it comes in many forms. But typically, this type of doubt comes at us and attacks us whenever we're in the middle of our day and God prompts us with something, but it's outside of our plan for the day. Let me just give you an example. So perhaps you've been listening to the sermons here at New Life and you've heard Pastor Alex, Pastor Chris, and Pastor Barry all say that each morning you should wake up and you should pray a simple prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me up. 
You've heard them say that prayer, and that prayer is important, so you think, well, I should probably say that prayer as well. So you wake up each morning, and you say that prayer, and you go about your day, but you don't really expect the Holy Spirit to prompt you until he does. You're going about your day, and you end up in Walmart, and your day hasn't gone at all as planned. And maybe in your plans, you usually end up at Walmart. But for me, if I find myself in Walmart, it's because my day has not gone the way I expected it to go. Something has gone horribly wrong if I'm in Walmart. You've gone in to get the one thing that you need to get on with the rest of your day, and it's chaos inside of the store. You go to leave, and there's a long line because like every Walmart in existence, there's only two registers open, and you don't want to use self-checkout. So you're standing in line with your one item and the Holy Spirit prompts you to let the woman behind you with two little kids and a cart full of groceries go in front of you. In my experience, you begin encountering the four stages of doubt. The first stage of doubt is that's not God, that's me. Now I say this from personal experience, not just from scripture, but when I personally experience doubting God's goodness in what he's prompting me to do, it always starts with this. That's not God, that's me. So you say to yourself, you're standing in line, and you're like, that can't be God telling me to let this woman in front of me. There wasn't a burning bush. There wasn't a, a, a sign from heaven. There, there, there wasn't anything. There wasn't an angel. They didn't send an angel to me like I expected them to send to me. So this can't be God, it must be me. Pretty soon after you work through stage one, you're standing in line waiting for the line to go down and the Holy Spirit keeps prompting you to let this woman in front of you and you move on to stage two. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. God, th th this, this doesn't make any sense. God, God wouldn't ask me to do something that doesn't make sense. I have one item. She has a cartful. It'd be different if I had a cartful and she had one item. Then it would make sense to let her go in front of me. God, don't you know that I'm busy today? If I asked her to go in front of me, I'm going to look like a moron. She's probably going to turn me down. She's going to look at me like my eyes are crossed, like I'm crazy. God, I can't at this. It doesn't make any sense. God wouldn't ask me to do something. And then there's a shift between stage two and stage three of doubt. There's a shift between stage two and stage three. And this doubt, the switch is, is that we begin to realize that God is actually asking us to do something. Now, this is minor, but God is actually asking us to do something. And so stage three is, I don't have what it takes. When God's asking us to do something, we often turn and look at ourselves and we simply say, God, I don't have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. I don't have the skills, I don't have the time. And so here you're looking and you're saying, God, I don't have what it takes today. I'm busy, my day hasn't gone as planned, I'm already running behind. If I let this girl in front of me, it's gonna push me further behind. It's gonna push me so far behind today, I'm not gonna be able to get the project in. If I don't get the project in, it has to get pushed to tomorrow, which is gonna screw up tomorrow, or I'm gonna to have to work at home tonight after the kids go to bed. I don't have time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the energy, God, I don't have what it takes. And it always runs us into number four. God isn't good enough. Now, now, this may seem outrageous to you. How could we go from I don't have what it takes to God isn't good enough? Well, the reality is doubt is the enemy, the nemesis of trust. We rarely get to number four because typically we get stopped somewhere around number two or three. We typically never work our way past it. So we never get to the point of asking, God, are you good enough? Will you actually provide what I need? The reality is that every time 
we don't do what we think God is telling us to do, it always comes back to doubting the goodness of God. Every time we don't do what we think God is telling us to do, it always comes back to doubting the goodness of God. Let me tell you a story of a hero from the Old Testament that went through all four stages of doubt. We're going to be looking at the book of Exodus at a man named Moses. Now, Moses had grown up as a prince of Egypt. He had been exiled from Egypt for killing an Egyptian, and he was living his life in the wilderness as a shepherd. While he was living his life in the wilderness as a shepherd, he had an encounter with God. Let's read some of these passages from Exodus chapter 3, various verses. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen your, the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries and distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? When we look at the story of Moses, he's immediately faced with stage one. Is this really God? Is it God? I see the bush. I see it's burning. It's now talking to me. The beautiful thing about the story with Moses is that God forced his way through stage one pretty abruptly. He just sort of made the jump. For many of us, we have to work our way through stage one. But for Moses, God cut straight to the chase. And he immediately goes on to stage two. And he hits it head on. This doesn't make sense. God, this doesn't make sense. I left Egypt. I can't return there. I'm a murderer. They'll kill me if I go back there. Who am I to go and talk to those people? Who am I to go and lead your people out? God, this doesn't make sense. Choose literally anybody else. Why would I be the person to lead your people out of Egypt? God, I am a murderer. I don't even live in Egypt. This does not make sense. It can't be God. But God answered him by giving him a miraculous sign, showing him that God had indeed chosen him. So now Moses moves on to stage three. I don't have what it takes. It actually says in the scriptures that Moses pleaded with God. He says, I'm a stutterer. I'm not of eloquent speech. I'm not convincing to anybody, God. Don't pick me. Please, God, don't pick me. I don't have what it takes. But God doesn't equip the call. Well, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And so he continues to call Moses. And he says, fine, you don't feel equipped to do it. I'll send Aaron with you. Which moves Moses immediately to stage four, where he doubts the goodness of God. God, are you good enough? Can you really do this thing you say you're going to do? Can you really free a people that's been enslaved for 400 years? a people who hasn't heard your voice for generations, a people who have no homeland and no place to go, a people who do not even know your name. He doubts God's goodness. 
But in the end, Moses responds. And in verse 20, Moses goes back to Egypt. In the fall of 2019, God began to speak to me about Lux Digital Church. Before it had a name, before it was a church, before we filed any paperwork, I was on a walk with the dog and I was praying. And God spoke, and in that moment, he said, I have crafted you, Mark, not only as a child, a son, and a pastor, but also as a gamer. And I want you to go to my people, my lost sheep, in the gaming community. Now, I'll be honest with you. Hindsight's 2020. I can look back and I can say that was the voice of God. At the time, I dismissed it because I didn't believe it was God. I hit stage one head on. This couldn't be God. It was too subtle. No one spoke to me through a burning bush. There was no angel from heaven, no near-death experience. Nothing was presented to me, just a subtle, silent whisper from the Holy Spirit while I was walking the dog up and down North Isabella Street. I didn't believe it, so I dismissed it. I didn't think God was speaking to me. This can't be God. I hit stage two a little while later when I was on another walk. As I was on another walk, God once again prompted me and I said to God, this doesn't make any sense. God, this this doesn't make any sense. Why would I start a church that's digital? I don't think that's biblical. To be frank with you, Father, I work at a church that's three minutes. I have a great, or three minutes from my house. I have a great staff. I have a church family there. My family worships there. My children love it there. I love taking my girls there. God, this doesn't make sense, and you wouldn't ask me to do something that doesn't make sense. An online church is ludicrous. It's stupid. It's moronic. No one would come. Who would show up for an online-only church? It's ridiculous. Ask me to do literally anything else. It couldn't be you. It doesn't make sense. And meticulously, God dealt with each one of my complaints. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think God was speaking to me yet. I didn't. I didn't believe him. I doubted him. I thought it was all inside my head. I was somewhere between stage one and stage two. And to be honest with you, I stayed there for a long time. I stayed there for four or five months, going on walks. But every time, God brought up the same stinking thing. And we had to keep talking about it. He was relentless with me. And eventually, I embraced the fact that God was calling me to do something crazy. So I hit number three head on. God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. Father, Father, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough as a communicator. I don't know anything about the online world. I'm the worst person to cause to, to be called to this. Don't you understand? This is where I'm at my weakest. I can't even have an internet browser on my phone because of my addictions, let alone starting a church that's on the internet. I'm not quick enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not passionate enough. I'm exhausted. I'm beat up already. I'm not spiritually fit enough to start a church, let alone something like this. I'm too old, too white, too rural, too whatever. I gave God every excuse in the book. I don't have what it takes. What you're asking me to do, you you got the wrong person. Which brought me front and center, head on with doubt number four, the fourth stage of doubt. 
I doubt your goodness. God, I know that you're good. I know that you'll take care of my family. You've promised me that you love my daughters more than I do. I know that I can trust you, but just to be clear, Father, I don't want to trust you. I don't. I want to trust me. I want to provide for them. I want to take care of them. You've promised to do good to me, but I don't trust that you will. However, in the end of the day, we decided that we trusted God more than we trusted us. And back in August, we came to Pastor Chris in 2020 during the pandemic, and we told him that we were going to start an entirely online expression of the church. And we were going to reach the people in the gaming community. And God has proven time and time again that he's going to be faithful. And on March 24th, we started church. And the following week, at March thir- on March 31st at our Easter service, my, friend, new de- my new friend Derek from Wisconsin came to faith in Jesus and was born again. As I was writing this message, he, wrote, he, uh, he sent me this. He said, after our conversation this weekend and sitting on it for a couple of days, I can say that I feel pretty good about being here. And I feel like I've started to find my way back to Jesus a little bit. I've come to realize that my issues with religion have been mostly the followers who have abused the religion over the years and not the actual teachings from the Bible. I definitely want to start walking this path again, even though it has been over 10 years since I have done so. And I just want to say thank you for putting that link in the Discord. I may, it may have simply just been Jesus calling out to me through you, giving me the option to come back. Either way, I'm thankful for it. I actually prayed for the first time today since I was a kid. I don't know what God is leading you today. But I know that if you're seeking him, I know that he's leading you. So what part of doubt are you in? What stage of doubting his calling and his leading of your life? Are you saying that can't be God? This doesn't make sense. I don't have what it takes. Or are you doubting his goodness? I can tell you it's scary, but in both cases, the other side of doubt is amazing. It's more than we could ever ask more, more than we could ever imagine. When I was in college, I kept pressing into God. The truth was I didn't believe that he existed, but I was too embarrassed to admit that I didn't believe that he existed. So I stayed at Geneva and I kept going to church but I walked away for about a year. And when I came back to the Lord, he kind of met me where I was. And on one evening, which I've talked about before here at New Life, something changed for me. I realized that all along, Jesus never asked me to build a wall. He didn't ask me to gather my black and white bricks and build a house. He asked me to walk with him in a garden. And the garden didn't feel safe. And the garden didn't feel secure. And there was a lot of uncertainties. And I never knew what was around the bend. And there were the right paths to take and there were the wrong paths to take. In the garden, there was right and wrong. But it wasn't black and white. And more importantly for me, it also wasn't gray. Suddenly, I wasn't drowning and I wasn't building a fortress. 
I was simply walking with Jesus in the garden. Life to the full. Zoe. And it was vibrant and it's beautiful. Yes, it's sometimes scary. And at times, I don't know where the next turn is going to take us. But in the end of the day, on the other side of doubt, was more than I ever thought could have been there. The reality is the antidote to both sides of doubt, the nemesis of trust, and also the twin sibling of desperation is the same thing. It's faith. It's faith. It's actually pretty simple. It's just hard. Jesus gave us the key whenever he spoke to Thomas. He said this, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Faith is the only answer to doubt. And to be honest with you, it's hard to grasp because doubt threatens faith. Doubt demands proof and faith offers us none. But in order to access life and life to the full, we have to work through doubt. And the only way to work through doubt is to exercise faith. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. For we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith and not by sight. You may be here today and you may be doubting the existence of God. You may be doubting his goodness. And if you're there, I know what it feels like. It sucks. It's horrible. It's some of the darkest moments that you have in your life. And sometimes it feels endless, but it's only endless if you give up and if you give in. It's only endless if you allow yourself to drown in the gray and don't push through to the garden. Perhaps God is asking you to work on something in your life, or maybe you're asking God to do a mighty work in your life, but you keep catching yourself. You keep falling victim to one of the four stages of doubt. You turn around, you check out whenever you encounter one of those four stages. This can't be God. This doesn't make sense. I don't have what it takes, or I don't think that God is good enough, but can I just reassure you from experience, God is good? God is good. And you can trust him. He comes through every time. Which leads us with our next step this week. It's simple, but it isn't easy. I will live by faith this this week. This does mean something different for each of us. For me and my family, that means next Wednesday, we are going to preach to a group of people that we'll never get to hug. A group of people we'll never meet in person. We'll build relationships with people from Australia and from New Zealand, from England, from Madagascar, from Southeast Asia, Canada, and all across the United States. And hopefully and prayerfully, people will enter the kingdom of God and live forever one day, and we'll never get to hold them until the next life. That might not be what it looks like for you. For you, it might mean cracking open your Bible this week, showing up to church next week, showing up for small group, even when you don't think you believe in God anymore. It might mean a small step of faith, or it might mean a total and complete reorientation of your life. It might mean moving past stage one, or it might mean taking a step beyond stage four. I don't know what it means for you, but I do know this. For some of us, 
We're at the first step. We're at the beginning. You can't place your faith in Jesus and overcome doubt if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. At New Life, we say all of that starts at the same place. And here at New Life, we say that's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit. Admitting that you're a sinner. Admitting that you haven't got it all together, that you've messed up. That you need someone to save you. B, believe. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died and that he rose again. And C, confess. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Allow him to come into your life and turn and put your faith in him. And when we turn and put our faith in the Lord, we believe that he comes into our life and gives us new life. And you can do that today. In fact, there's an opportunity right now. You want to put your faith in Jesus? You can use the button in the chat right now. Raise your hand and say, I committed. Someone wants to reach out to you and they want to let you know, hey, we know that you committed your life to Jesus today. We want to walk with that. We want to walk through that with you. Give us a little information. We just want to help you take a step in faith. We know that trusting Jesus, Savior and Lord for the first time isn't the end of a story. It's the beginning of a new life. And we want to walk that out with you because it's easier to walk that out with people who've been there. If that's you today, as I pray, you can just simply ask God to come into your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And I know that there are people online right now who are facing all sorts of doubt and desperation. They're doubting whether or not you exist. They're doubting whether or not you would ask them to do this. They're doubting if you'll provide. And God, you're a good God who always comes through. But we are a fallen people who are plagued by doubt. And although it might be natural, we want to live by faith. We want to be people who experience life and life to the full. We want to walk in the garden with you, Father. Would you help us? Where we don't have faith, would you supplement faith? Would you, would you meet us where we are? If our faith is small, would you do something big? If our faith is big, would you still do something big? Would you meet us where we are? Would you call us into something new today? Help us, Father, to come out of doubt and into new life. Help us, Father, to trust. Pull us out of desperation. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. I praise you, God, for this day. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us, New Life. Have a great week, and be sure to come back again next week.